Okay, everyone, once again, welcome to We Want to Talk About It Now. And as always, giving our big shout out to our one subscriber, Julie Gibson. Um, we're very happy that you continue to listen. Um, one, one dollar would help, Julie. At least one dollar per episode would be great. Uh, this is You're the only one that's supporting us, and we, we really need this pretty bad. Um, so today I have a couple guests that... This is their first time appearing um, on the pod. Uh, just a quick introduction. And the reason that I have them is because I think between all three of us, we've at least accumulated $5,000 in wealth uh, combined uh, via the music <laughs> industry and our music endeavors. Um, I've played in bands with each of them. Uh, I got my former, I guess current, whatever, my guitarist, Trace Covington, who we've been friends for a long time. And we've done a lot of music stuff together and have a lot of similar interests in music. And then my other guest is my brother, Nick, who we've also done a lot of recording together, played in bands together. And that is why I have them on, because our subject today is going to be about something that's near and dear to all of our hearts, mainly because it's the music that we, and it's probably the music I grew up on because of my brother's listening to this music uh, at the time. I want to talk about 90s alternative rock um, because it's the basically like the formative music behind everything that I ended up doing in my music career. Um, so I just want to give each of you an opportunity to kind of, you can either just say hi or you can put a little bit of a background on what you guys know about music and why. Not necessarily that you're experts on it, but why you have why you can talk about it. So, Trace, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, I'd start by just saying I don't. I wouldn't consider myself an expert, but I'm just a fan of '90s music. And in comparison to a lot of our other friends who are older siblings in their family, I think that's what you, you and I have in common. Is both of us have older siblings who, as we grew up. Rode around riding in the car, listening to KOWD 1065. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's where my, to this day, I still don't really enjoy hip hop or a whole lot of pop music. Um, I'm mostly rooted in like the classic band setup lead, rhythm, bass, drums. So awesome. Uh, Nick, do you have anything that you want to? add to that not necessarily to trace's background but uh to your own um well being a kid of the uh, 90s um i grew up on the 90s music in the from the beginning till the end i actually want to thank my brother matt for um getting me interested in the rock music because i, I had another brother who was into that that sappy 80s music <laughs> and because of my uh my other brother, who liked the uh, the rock and roll, the Guns N' Roses, and that type of music, it really put me in the position to liking the um, the '90s music. And also being, you no, know, I had bands in the '90s also. Um, good old Met Tech, um, which <laughs> look them up. Two songs, and that was about it. And uh, then we went our separate ways. But we we put on one gig, and uh, for a birthday party, and a that was that. Play two songs. <laughs> <laughs> we played two songs 15 times because we had to fill the hour. 
Ugh. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was a really great time because uh, during that time our uh, our drummer broke his bass drum, so he had to duct tape the whole thing, and so you know that's how our gig went. It was great. Oh, he broke the bass drum in the gig. Uh, no, when oh. we were rehearsing. Oh, okay. Like, so well, I guess it, we can't write any more songs. Well, no, yeah, it was a well. It was within the, the, the same day, though. He broke it when in rehearsal, like an hour before we did our gig, and then we did our gig with duct tape all over the bass drum. So, Yeah, and uh, the reason that I had Nick on is because I remember driving around in Grandma and Grandpa's, the vehicle we had to commandeer from Grandma when she got Alzheimer's, and like of just a vivid memory. I don't know why we were driving to Ponderosa. Um, I mean, that's where you went to high school, but a um, vivid memory of... Being in that car with the seats that go, what are those called? Bucket seats that just go all the way across. Is that what? Buckets? Oh, bench. Bench seats. Bench. And uh, Wonderwall playing. Uh, and it's like one of my fir- earliest memories because I, mu- I must have been like six, maybe five or six at that time. Um, this would have been like 95, 94-ish. I'll have to see when Wonderwall came out. But it's like <laughs> one of my it's one of my formative memories for music. Um, and it's interesting that you brought up Matt and the brother that you didn't say by name as to not offend him. Um, because I wonder if it's just do, reading all of this information, like getting prepared for this um, and pulling different th- theories that people have or hypotheses is why this happened. It just seems like evolution. Like it makes sense that our older brother listened to that 80s poppy stuff. I mean, maybe it would have been better if he was listening to like Led Zeppelin or ACDC or something like that. Um, but then it makes sense that our next brother, who is about four years younger than him, listened to that rock stuff because that rock stuff was huge um, mid to late 80s, like you mentioned Guns N' Roses. And then you listened to that stuff that was a few years later huge at the time, um, speaking of grunge. Because uh, I don't really like the. Tr- I really think that the reason that a lot of this started is more of just it depends on the vehicle that you have at the time. Um, I did a little bit of research and I saw that cassettes were created in the 70s and CDs were created in like 1982. I think people just had an outlet finally that you could easily transfer to other people. Um, Because I see that today, like where people are like, man, why are kids so whiny and such a bunch of little punks? And they're like always complaining about stuff. It's because the technology that we have now allows us to do it at a more frequent, frequent rate. I don't think that any time in history, like, kids are stronger or more coddled or anything like that. It's just we have different ways of being able to give that information out to people. And I think that's what 90s alternative rock and ultimately like punk rock that starts in the mid 80s um, had. They finally had a platform where it was a lot easier for them to sort of complain. Like it was just easier. Anybody could do it. Like if I think about like my band, like we had MySpace. And so it was just super easy to be like, hey, go to my MySpace page. Here's all this free music. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with us becoming wusses or anything like that or getting soft, which is how I feel like a lot of people describe like the lyrics behind grunge music. Um, It's just, it's a lot easier to give to people now. So you're saying that instead of like using Facebook, you just, you hear about all these people complaining now, whereas then the only way to voice your opinion was to double down on what these these alternative rock stars had already said you go out and buy their albums instead of Uh, yeah i think there's an opportunity to go and like purchase purchase those feelings that those people or not even purchase like it could just be your friend being like hey we recorded this on our cassette 
go check it out. I mean, Dave Grohl has an awesome story. I think it's Dave Grohl. And I, I might have been a little hyperbolic there saying it was an awesome story. But um, <laughs> he's, a, he's a big defender of people like illegally downloading music. He's just like, hey, we used to do it with our cassette tape. Like we would just record songs off the radio. And we also would use video, like or, uh, we'd use cassettes to also like let people listen to and that's how we got people to like want to be in our bands like hey listen to the stuff i did do you like it okay cool well let's collaborate on it um that that's at least my feeling on it as opposed to just being like oh it's like because teenagers are always angsty right like so it's just like for us in like 2005 ish like you're looking at screamo right screamo was like the huge thing that was what the angsty music of the time was grunge was just the angsty music of the time of the yeah. 90s and no one no one feels more angsty than teenagers so of course they're going to fall in love with it i don't like that's obviously nick would have more to say about that because nick was actually not a child but like a teen at the time like i was like two years old in the night like the early 90s um i don't know if you have anything to say about that like what it was actually like to experience these things happening um to to go back really quick to a, a previous point you made and maybe start thinking about it you know the uh the invention of the cassette tape and the uh the cd how it became more accessible for other people to have to listen to music, albeit like underground music, to, to spread it. Because before you had to actually go to the concert to actually see that band. Now you have people doing bootlegs of, hey, man, I just heard this band, you know, whatever band it is, uh, Nirvana. Here, come listen to their stuff because I just recorded on a cassette tape. And now you're sharing it with all your friends and everything like that. And I think that... Um, you know, when you, you go to the underground, um, it was a lot easier now, well, back then for them to spread the word, not just in concert, but in bootlegs. And which, you know, kind of gave the rise to the uh, the, the popular, popularity of the uh, the alternative rock, mu you know, music type of thing. Um, but as far as living in it, um, I, man, I... Well, you know, as you know, you're a product, you know, since I lived it, I thought it was some of the greatest music that I heard, you know, because it also invokes all those memories and um, that you have from your teenage years and, you know, things that you did, you can associate with songs. Um, the, you know, it's funny that Alex brought up, you know, earlier about, you know, listening to Oasis and the, uh, the Red Rocket, as we called it, <laughs> and listening and I don't know if he knew this or not, but we never had a radio in that. All that music that was listened to was because we took CDs or we took cassette tapes and figured out a way to put it on either a cassette tape or CD, and we had a boombox in the car. <laughs> and we would just play songs over and over and over and over, you know, with, you know, the the the, the D batteries in our, in our boombox. And then, hey, once we ran out of battery, we got to put more batteries in that thing. But uh, I do not remember that. But those batteries but yeah, weren't cheap was, either. I remember that. Those. It was, yeah. It was. We never had a radio, and uh, it was just songs that we bought from the store. Sometimes it was. Uh, yeah, I know buying music is really weird. Um, but I remember going down to Dimple uh, Records in Folsom, California, and going through all the used music and seeing what was people were returning. I'm like. Ugh, how can they be returning this live album? And this is this is one of the greatest albums. And, and instead of paying full price for like twelve bucks, now I got it for six bucks. 
and just listening to the the album all the way through i think that's another uh, a great thing about it is that you know you listen to the albums you from start to finish instead of just like all right what's the single i want to buy just this single and you can still find those like b-sides i mean they're not necessarily b-sides but you know what i mean like those those deep tracks right but it was the the good thing is you know still in that day is that you know you well me i listen to the whole album and be like man this is a really good album instead of just just whatever they're playing on the radio I would imagine, too, that they probably wrote significantly differently in that time as well. And I just want to point out, uh, before I go into that, um, when Nick said live album, live is an actual band. For those of you who don't know that live is an actual band. Because <laughs> uh, it could sound like he, that he just got a live album of somebody, but no, like live is an actual band. Um, but I imagine that they wrote significantly different then, because now you're ultimately writing... We just got to write four good songs, and then the rest doesn't have to be that great. Is how I view. I mean, they released in singles back then as well. Like they released four or five singles that they wanted people on the. They wanted like the consumer to hear on the radio, so they would go buy the rest of the album. But I, I think, in my opinion, and this could just be old man fist waving sort of thing. They just wrote even those songs that weren't singles a lot more efficiently than they do now. And like, there's some people that like don't even, because it it's pointless to do it, there's some people that don't even write albums anymore. They'll just be like, I'm gonna release a song here and there. Come to my concert, please. Well, I wonder if that's part of it too, is back then it was like an album release. You had the record, I mean, record company lifestyle was very different back then. You had a record company on your back to put an album out. It was, it was like you had that one shot for that year or depending on how you wrote, four or five years. Whereas now it's like you can put a song out within a couple of days on the streaming apps. And if it's no good, uh, back to it. I'll, I'll write for another couple months and I can put something else out. Yeah. And oh, what you... and another thing too is like the labels themselves. Like if we're talking like 90s alternative, like these were a lot of independent labels starting out in like the, in the mid 80s. They, they were getting on these and, and that's like another... Um, characteristic of alternative music according to the internet um, but if you notice they all go fairly mainstream come Nirvana and everybody else um, and come Temple of the Dog like in my opinion it's come Temple of the Dog and Nirvana like because from Temple of the Dog you got you spawned two bands from Nirvana you spawned one after um, Kurt Cobain's death so with Temple of the Dog you have Pearl Jam and Soundgarden which were huge players in the Seattle music scene, like the grunge scene. And then from Nirvana, with Kurt Cobain's death, you had the the formation of the Foo Fighters, which is still a band that's very much alive today. I guess Soundgarden and Pearl Jam are as well. Obviously, Chris Cornell just died, so Soundgarden a little bit less. But Yeah, they're the, not making a lot of new music, no. though. Oh, or good music when they do make it. Like I, I don't know if like it's funny. Like I loved all of these bands, but for the most part, like now, I'm just like, hmm. What what happened, guys? Like I don't. Maybe it's they like they lost that angstiness that we all love. Like like the song "Alive" by Pearl Jam. Like all of the feeling that Eddie, whoever wrote it, I'm assuming Eddie Vedder, um, Eddie Vedder put into that song. Um, it just doesn't. Maybe as you get older, you just don't have those feelings anymore. And I I don't really get a whole lot of his songs anymore, to be honest. Yeah, uh, Dave Grohl is probably one of the few. Guys, like even if you think about rock today. Like, in the rock community, you listen to it on the radio. 
Foo Fighters are like front and center. They're still like the main guys, unless you want to branch out to like classic rock and stuff like that. But as far as like rock bands that are putting music out that people still relate to, Foo Fighters. And I wonder if that's because I don't know. One of my brothers told me, and I don't know if this story is true, that like Dave Grohl did this um, interview where he just explains the formula for writing a hit song and so he's just like stuck to that formula each time but like sonic highways one of their recent albums that is that went along with a an hbo special that they did was so cool i also like their most recent album um not as much as sonic highways but i i, I just went to their concrete and gold tour uh sonic highways was they're still like doing interesting stuff i think is what the foo fighters are doing like pearl jam is just like all right, we got to It's like it's like U2 as well. And I, I don't consider U2 to be like part of this grunge and alternative rock scene, but just like there's bands who just like, all right, we just got to... We're, we're basically just getting paid for our past fame and we can just put out crap if we want because it doesn't matter, which I hate. I don't really like that they do that. Like, stop producing music. Just do what you're good at and people are going to be a lot happier and you're probably going to get... Either way, they're going to get money. It doesn't matter, but just the end. I, I think that we see that kind of weird because I did I kind of started understanding artists who hit their peak and then they're still performing but not making new albums I, I sometimes for them they're they want to play what makes them happy because in the end you know like you have all the money you want you know you, you, at some point you know you're not doing it for the fans anymore you kind of like just do it for yourself which which I'm still on the fence about if it's, you know, super selfish or, you know, you're doing it because that's actually what makes you happy. I know that Billy Corgan had that um, recently, I guess, on Joe Rogan. He made a comment about that. He's like, I just want to play things that I enjoy doing. Um, and allegedly he said that the uh, the fans should, should uh, the true fans will, will understand that. And I think most of the fans just want to hear the hits. Well, and I call BS on that, Billy. Like... I'm 100% okay with people wanting to do what they want to do. Like, the first part of that I'm fine with. Like, Billy Corgan being like, I just want to write the things that I like writing, and that's what I'm going to do. That's totally cool. But you have to be, like, you have to be okay with your fans being like, we don't want you to do that. Because <laughs> it, it, they're, the fans are the ones that gave you the platform that you have to be experimental. Like, let's be honest, no one, no one listens to the early Smashing Pumpkins or whatever. Um, he, he doesn't get to, he, he's probably like a, a telemarketer somewhere. Like, a, you know what I mean? He, he's not going to be able to even do like this experimental stuff now if he doesn't get that influx of fit. Like, cause what, ah, Radiohead, Radiohead does that as well. Right. Like where they're just like, yeah, we're not going to play creep. I, and I think that's unfair to fans, especially me. I'm just like, well, I don't want to go to a, like, I love early Radiohead, but I don't want to pay to go to a Radiohead show and just be screwed out of like that song. I'm just like, I want to hear it. It's not my favorite Radiohead song, but I still want to hear them perform it live. Yeah, the, the, the majority of your fan base, too, is from all your your success when you are having re- when you were really successful. So, you know, let's let's bring back Smashing Pumpkins, you know, with the Siamese Dream and then Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, you know, those two albums. After that, people, you know, the next album, people were like, eh, you know, not as good as those other ones, but we still like those those two albums. And then they release more and more and more. And then when it comes to it, it's like, oh, hey, Smash Pumpkins is coming to town. And then they start playing stuff that they never heard. Like, well, 
I paid for all these albums, but I didn't pay for Adore or, you know, stuff after that with that wasn't as commercially successful. And, you know, unfortunately, that's that's where, you know, you get the bulk of the people who complain about, you know, um, just play the hits, you know, because with any popular band, the reason why they're popular is because of that era that made them popular. Well... And it's, I mean, as someone who's like participated somewhat in songwriting, there's certain songs that you write that you appreciate a lot more for whatever aspect of that song. You know, maybe it's a certain progression you put together that you think sounds really good, and um, you try to put yourself in in someone else's shoes and and how would they appreciate it? And you you still want people to like that specific song, and even if they don't, I mean. I don't know. It, it's hard. You want, you want them to appreciate it like you do, and they might not relate to that specific part on the same level that you do because they didn't put the work into it or, or for whatever reason. So, I mean, for me, it was always like I like playing all my songs. I just like performing, so I don't, I don't think that was as much of an issue. Yeah, I mean, I think any struggling musicians, um, at least for me, like how you're describing that right there, like that's what bothers me about the attitude that like these people have. I'm just like... Man, you got you're so lucky that you even got this chance to do this, like to perform, to perform for more than a hundred people. Yeah. <laughs> like just to just to be able to do that is awesome. And I wish you would stop being so um, not idealistic. What's I can't think of the right word for it. Um, it'll come to me eventually. Like just stop being so uppity. <laughs> with how like you view your own with how you view your own music and your craft, um, because I go back to I'm reiterating I'm saying the same thing over and over, but it's just like we made you, so the little piece that I made, I, I want that back. Like yeah, I know I only gave you fifty dollars to go to your concert, but still fifty dollars to me is way more money than fifty dollars is to you. So it's not going to hurt you to play Creep for the thousandth time. <laughs> All right, so like just like just just do it, and I, I think the Foo Fighters like you, and that's why the Foo Fighters stay relevant. That's why they still have tons of like tons of people are going to all these shows. But I think that's why I have such an affinity for Dave Grohl, Taylor Hawkins, um, and that band. So just like they get it, they're just like, hey, we're gonna play the hits. We're also gonna play some off of our new album, but we're gonna give you everything, and we're gonna give you a three-hour show. So yeah, we got your back on this one. That's why I will continue to go to Foo Fighter shows. And I will, I'm not even going to risk going to a Radiohead one. I just don't want to. Well, and Dave Grohl still has like that passion for all of his old stuff like that you were talking about earlier. It's just like something never left him. And so even the old stuff, like you could tell he's having a good time playing it. And he just appreciates that he gets to play it. You can tell when you watch him play. As opposed to other people who just like, I don't want them to love who I was. I want them to love who I am now. <laughs> That's exactly what's wrong with the... Uh... That's exactly what's wrong with the generation of the 90s. <laughs> the, oh, the generation that's older than me, that they think like that bothers the musicians, I should say. Um, but, but that like goes to my point. Like I, I want to talk about like generational gaps and everything like that on a separate podcast. But like that just goes to my point that humans, for the most part, stay the same and just get better as we go on. Um, we just forget easier. Like I, Once again, Nick is the only one that can really speak to that. But I feel like... That grunge music, at least how I listened to it, was very much based in um, 
like now that we like it's nostalgia, but like back in the day, it was like, I go back to the same exact thing, like angsty. I don't know how you describe uh, 90s alternative rock or if like you want to pick out certain bands, Nick, that like express different sort of things. But I felt like for the most part, um, it was sort of like this sentimentality um, for life, if that makes sense. And also just like worry for the future is how a lot of 90s music is to me. I I may be the the worst person to talk about well not 90s music but I was really into the music not necessarily the lyrics Oh gotcha I rarely listened to lyrics at all I really like the music Would you include melody in that like when you say music you mean like melody and instruments yes. okay Yeah I mean that's why I think I did not like a lot of the 80s pop at all um hair metal was i don't i hardly listen to it i can stand it but but the the music that was you know um like i said like the, the band live collective soul counting crows um rem um the foo fighters nirvana um collect do you say collective soul collective soul um <laughs> Seven Mary Three to throw out Seven a band Mary that I bet three. you a few people don't know. Um, but the music is what I really liked. I, I felt like there was a little. Um, it, it, they got back to playing. I wouldn't say that you know in the eighties or whatever they weren't playing instruments, but there was less less uh, like synthesizers and uh, guitars, and it was just <laughs> you know, the good old drum, guitar, and bass. You know, and maybe some keyboard or whatever in there, but. I, I just I really enjoyed listening, you know, to that uh, kind of stuff. Can I ask you a question? Like, you're differentiating like between like the '80s pop music. Like, how would you differentiate like '90s alternative to like the hair metal that you're talking about as well? Because I feel like most hair metal did the basic like lead singer, drums, bass, uh, guitar, like two guitars. Um, but I don't know if like you've like what was the emotional difference in the music um, between those two groups. You know, I was, I was, you know, I was actually went back today and was listening to uh, like hair metal stuff, and for some reason it didn't appeal to me at all, and it seemed almost like over manufactured, because um, that's what they were going for. You know, you had like the '90s people were kind of like stripped. It's almost like stripped down a little bit. They're just wearing their normal clothes. It wasn't a whole lot like, you know. Glitzing glamour, leather, glamour, leather, hairspray. I mean, if you look at like REM, I mean, they're just little what? Wow, man, just a bald dude, (laughs) bald dude, maybe three guys. I forgot what it was, but I mean, they just had their instruments. They just, they, I think they wrote about how they felt about different things. It's you know, there were less party anthems. I think, I think that the 80s glam rock was more party anthems than anything else. And then you had, you know, REM, which, you know, just came about by, you know, and we're just writing about situations that's happening in our life or things that we care about or, you know, poetic stuff. Um, then, like I said, then more party anthems. Yeah. No, that, I, would, I would have to agree with the, because that's what I was thinking about, like, leading up to this podcast, like, yesterday. I was like, 
just seemed like the eighties was like like they have song. There's a song called "Ain't Nothing But a Good Time." Like, and then you got uh, ah that Kiss song, "Rock and Roll Party Every Day." Like the the fact that so many titles had party in it, I think, kind of goes to that. Like to your point, where it's just like yeah, I, the the one band that I would disagree with that on though, and I think we would all disagree with that is like at least Guns N' Roses. Yeah, they had big hair and whatever, but I feel like they they dealt a little bit. I feel like they were kind of the bridge, ultimately, from like hair metal to grunge. Um, I think they were a big part of that. Um, yeah, uh, I feel like 80s bands were almost on a separate level, whereas like people like Kurt Cobain or Michael Stripe or Billy Corgan, like they're dudes you would see in the mall walking down the street wearing their tattered flannels. And not recognized. Yeah, and not recognized, whereas like these other dudes wrote about being on a pedestal and doing drugs and hooking up with all these hot chicks and like I mean not to say that Kurt Cobain was not doing drugs we'll, <laughs> we'll get into that but um I don't know it's hard to say not being a teenager in the 90s but looking back like retrospectively on what I th- think could have been the case is they just seem more real you know 90s cuz I have to what I have to do is I have to frame it from like the 2000s and the music that happened in the 2000s and comparing it against it. Like, I don't feel like there was as much of an explosion in our generation, Trace, um, because I think we were talking about this beforehand. I think a huge factor in why 90s alt music has like this huge cult following. Like, I do feel like we're the age of nostalgia anyways. Like our generation, like all the TV, everything that's, being created in entertainment right now is all about nostalgia. Um, I think when someone dies, it makes that nostalgia so much more palpable. And Kurt Cobain dying, like you talking about him doing drugs and everything, eventually committing suicide, possibly murdered. Um, (laughs) I think that was a huge thing for the grunge movement as well as alt-rock. And I say this a lot to people. I had, uh, when I was taking a standardized test recently, um, I was talking about the Foo Fighters and people were like talking so much crap on him and I had no idea why. And I was just like, you know, he was like the drummer for Nirvana, right? And he's like, really? I had no idea. Well, I love Nirvana. I'm like, how do you like love Nirvana and not know that their drummer ended up going to create a band called the Foo Fighters? Um, and the reason is because Kurt Cobain died and it's cool to like a band where like there's a cool story. Everyone loves The Dark Knight because Heath Ledger died. It's a great movie as well. Like, Nirvana's music is also great, but it just gave it almost like this cult following when when he did die. He became, every good cult needs a leader to die. So he was just the one that happened to do it. I have anyone who dies, like young, in the 27 Club, you know, like, (laughs) Amy Winehouse had like one good song that was on the radio and I was like, what, like... Was that Rehab too? Yeah, like 15 or 16, like a song that I would never think twice about. I might have just defamed her. Don't sue me. (laughs) And all of a sudden she's like one of the greatest diva singers that has ever blessed our generation with her music, you know, and I couldn't tell you any other songs. Well, that's a really good point too, because... Kurt Cobain was awesome. Like, he was talented. He came up with awesome stuff. Like, he made grunge mainstream. Like, it was him and Eddie yeah. Vedder, in my opinion. I think Soundgarden to a point, but not as no, much. No, I'd say Nirvana is the, the 
definitive like grunge sound yeah, of the night. And that's why it's so huge. Like I haven't heard anyone talk about Amy Winehouse in a while. I hear Kurt Cobain at least a couple times a year. Like that and that might be because that's my type of music, but like I feel like people bring that genre up and him dying once again. I'm happy he died because it made the Foo Fighters, which I like a lot more than Nirvana, but at the same time, um, that's where the explosion comes from. Uh, at least how I see it. Well, I, yeah, sorry, Nick, you, 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 you probably were like there when he died. <laughs> I was, you know, it's where I don't, I remember maybe seeing a, something on TV, a news thing about it, but it affect having it affect me. I don't think it did, but to, to swing back around again about the Amy Winehouse thing, I think she's a really talented and good singer. I mean, it's unfortunate that she, you know, how she ended her life or whatever, but I think that, Kurt Cobain had more influence on way more artists than than Amy Winehouse did and which brought about other bands which then kind of like changed the rock scene to push it into another direction um but you know with that said just the him dying I think is what really um kind of changed the lens cuz I if he didn't die, I don't know how many other bands would have came out of the 90s. I mean, that because since he was so influential, having him die made him even more influential. And more people wanted to, you know, have that sound and have what he had and, and the popularity. And, you know, I know that people, you know, were Kurt Cobain was saying, oh, you know, I don't, I never did it. You know, I didn't want to be popular or anything like that. But, I have to disagree. I think that as a band, you want to become mainstream. You want to reach out to as many people as you can to have them hear your music. And um, having him die just, you know, catapult that, catapulted it. Do you think? To... Do you think part of it is like, have you ever had a band that you were looking forward to their album and the album just wasn't that great? And then, not to say that Nirvana's wasn't, because I like all of Nirvana's music, but. You kind of look forward to the future and you go, oh, they'll they'll come out with another album. We'll see how that one is. You know, and as time goes on, they keep putting out crappy music. You kind of forget about them and slowly it fades out. Whereas Nirvana, Kurt Cobain died. It was like everything we have from them is all we're getting. That's it. Like we better appreciate what's out that you're not getting anymore. You know, I've there have been bands that I that I've liked and they there was something they put out that I didn't like, and I thought, uh, maybe the next album. With Nirvana, he died. That's all that was out. That's what you got. So almost like they didn't have... Nirvana didn't have that opportunity to like kind of... Fade out. Yeah, like make themselves irrelevant by trying to... And I honestly don't... like Just with Kurt Cobain, I really don't see Kurt Cobain like... If he does keep on going, like I don't see him being like one of those lifetime musicians... Because he did say, like you said, Nick, like he wasn't doing this for the fame. Um, but I do believe in a sense, like eventually, I mean, that's why he ended up killing himself, I think. I don't know exactly why, but just like the pressures of being in the limelight all the time. Um, I think he would have been one of those people who'd be like, I'm good. You know, I did my thing. I don't yeah. need to tour every single year. Um, but you, you get what I'm saying? It's almost like what you said earlier, like $50 to you is a lot more valuable than $50 to someone who has a lot more. You know, those 20 songs that Nirvana has out is a lot more valuable than another band who, like Led Zeppelin who has 200 songs out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. They're, um, oh, what's that word? Their catalog yeah. is much richer 
because of how small it is. Yeah. As opposed to being like watered down because you're releasing all of these songs. Like, yeah, we have 200. You probably know 10 <laughs> worth. And then with Nirvana, like, yeah, we had 30 songs. You probably know at least 20 or maybe all 30 of them. Uh, I was just going through like this list of people that were influenced by Nirvana and they have, there's a lot of, like a lot of my favorite bands that, that came out of the 90s. Like, so you got Blink-182, Weezer, um, allegedly Jay-Z, not a huge Jay-Z fan, <laughs> I'm not a huge Jay-Z fan, but I just, I just thought that was a little bit, Cage the Elephant, which comes out much later. Um, so I think uh, what Nick said it was huge for me because I, I'm glad that if his death inspired all of these people to create the music, I almost think it was worth it. Uh, I, I know it's weird to like talk about somebody's death like that and be like, I'm glad this happened, but we're, we have, we're so art rich because of, I guess you could say like the sacrifice that he made. Um, What's that line from the dark Knight? You either live long enough to... <laughs> what die, is it? You either die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah, maybe it's good he... I'm, ha- I'm happy with it. Because <laughs> like, like, Rivers Cuomo, like, um, oh, what's that song? I think it's on the Red Album. He like wrote a song that's like about... My Heart Songs? Her, yeah. It has, and it has like Weezer, in, or sorry, it has uh, Nirvana in there. Yeah. And then ultimately, like, I've already said this, but the big thing from Kurt Cobain's death for me is Foo, the Foo Fighters were, were I, I wonder what Dave Grohl would have done eventually. If eventually he'd be like, yeah, I'm good. With, like, I don't want to do Nirvana anymore. If he would have just kept being a drummer. Just drum, drum. Pitter pattering away on his little drum set for the rest of his life. Oh, if, if Kurt Cobain never died? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, he was writing songs while in Nirvana. There were several songs that he wrote but, well, the Foo, Fight, the Foo Fighters were a band at the time, right? While Nirvana was still a thing? I, no? No. I think it was right after he died. Like Because he, like, he showed some of his songs to Kurt Cobain. He showed some of his oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's what Nick's talking about. Yeah. Right. But but some of the songs he was afraid to show to him just because of who Kurt Cobain was. He wrote a whole bunch of songs, and after the death, he kind of just like, well, what am I going to do? I have all these songs. Um he, he Tom Petty asked him to come drum for him. He played that in Saturday Night Live with Tom Petty. And then Tom Petty offered him the job as the drummer. He's like, you know what? I think I'm going to try out this this band thing. And so I think that very first album, he recorded every single instrument. There was just a couple where uh, he had other people play on it. But that first album, uh, just Foo Fighters, which is all him. Yeah, he's so talented. <laughs> he's so talented. Just one of my, one of my favorite people. That's why it made me so upset when those people were dogging the Foo Fighters. I was like, all right, listen here, liberal Democrat girl that I'm talking to right now. If you ever like watched a Dave Grohl interview, you would fall in love with the Foo Fighters. Like, I don't think you know who you're talking about. So uh, go do a little bit of research before you take this test. Uh, that's not about 90s music, so it doesn't matter. But just, just go do that. A test of 90s music? Yeah, it was, it was a very weird standardized test that we took. <laughs> I was just like, you're not going to do very well on this. You don't know who Dave Grohl is. You're not going to do well on it. So she, she went home and studied for it. So I hope she did well. If you're listening out there, uh, Clarissa, if that is your name, um, I know you're not listening, so I'm going to stop talking to you. Uh, well, who else finishes a tour with a broken, what did he break, his foot? His, his leg. leg? Yeah. He finished the tour, the concert. He finished the concert. the concert. Yeah. <laughs> He said, I'll be right back, guys. Let me go take care of this real quick. 
and then yeah, and then finish the tour out like that would have been a cool too. Like what do you have that throne that he sat on? A throne of guitars. Yeah, that was. He's just a he's just such a sweetheart. He's a good guy. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, everyone has their flaws. I mean, that's why Pat Smear left in the in the band the first time around. What was his name? Pap Schmear? Pat Smear. Pat Smear. Oh, Pat Smear. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was he was he was really originally playing in the Foo Fighters for a while, and then there was a rift between Dave Grohl and Pat. That's why he was he had his hiatus. You know, eventually he came back and smoothed things everything over. But I would I would have done the same thing if I was Pat Smear. Like, oh crap, you guys are huge. Can I come back and make 100k a year and just tour around with you? I don't want to write anything or record, but I'd I'd love to tour with you if that's okay, Mister Girl. That's how I imagine that conversation going. <laughs> like, but like, how big a Dave Grohl to let him back in? I don't know if like there was a groveling process or anything like that. But anytime I see Pat Smear, I'm just like, you lucky sob. I know how to play what you're playing, and I haven't done anything. I haven't like wronged Dave Grohl in any way. But that's neither neither here nor there. Pick me instead. Uh, pick me out of the crowd. Like every every single. <laughs> yeah. Can we just talk about that? I think every single, I, I, people who aren't musicians, I'm not sure if they know this, but every single musician has a fantasy of being at a concert, and in that concert they're going to say, will you come and play with me this one, the one song that you know how to play with us? <laughs> every single, like even at a, like Foo Fighters just recently did it on their tour, not not in Salt Lake, um, they had someone come up and play Monkey Wrench, I think. Um I was like, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you do it when you're in Salt Lake? I totally could have done that. I could play Monkey Wrench. It's have, just drop D. <laughs> I have dreams about that. I've In my dreams, I've become lead guitarist for brand new. Some 41. <laughs> Foo Fighters. <laughs> it's common. Oh, man. But to all those non-musicians out there, that like, if you go to a show with a musician, that's all they're thinking about. They, you... If you're a girl and you think that your boyfriend's thinking about you at the concert, he's not, I guarantee you. He's, <laughs> he's thinking about, I hope that they do this thing that they almost never do, but tonight's going to be the night. I kind of want to end uh, these last couple minutes talking about a little bit about the other, like not just the Foo Fighters, but other bands that like came in like the late 90s. Um, because I feel like, uh, for example, Third Eye Blind, they were huge circa like 1997, I want to say. Um, like that's a vivid, that's a band that I remember also hearing on the radio. Like it was a very vivid memory of them getting famous. Um, yeah. When you, when you mentioned Wonderwall, Third Eye Blind came to mind. Jumper playing on the radio, like riding around the car when you're a kid. Jumper. Not knowing what the song's about, yeah. but <laughs> it sound, not, not knowing that semi-charmed life is about doing crystal meth until like you finally grow up you're like, doing crystal meth will lift you up until you break like oh oh i get it now and then jumper like it's like a trying to talk someone down from suicide <laughs> like i had no idea these themes yeah, they, had, that, they had a lot of hits off that uh that album yeah the I think, debut i think that's what really uh made it so they could do a second album that was you know a little bit you know successful to also that's one of my favorite albums from the 90s it's a salt like going back to like what Nick said earlier about like you know you listen to the entire album. I listen to this entire album and like everything's good on it. Yeah, everything is good on it. I'm pulling up the list of songs right now. Losing a whole year, narcolepsy, semi-term life, jumper, graduate. How's it gonna be? Thanks a lot, Burning Man. Good for you, London. I want you. The background, motorcycle drive by, God of Wine. If you haven't listened to this album, like so many of these songs that aren't popular and don't even have a Wikipedia page that you can click on are like 
by far better. Like motorcycle drive-by, I think is consistently better than all of the famous ones. I love that song. <sighs> Not to like get too deep into Third Eye Blind, but they were uh, they were a fire that that burned a little bright and a little hot, and then just kind of went out. Like they were solid for about five years, and then they're still writing and making crappy music. Um, Stephen Jenkins, I think Nick, did you you just went to yeah, I just their saw concert last right? year. Yeah, in a little small venue. I think it holds about 500 people. What was that like? I've never been... I've never... Because you went to like Ace of Spades, right? Yeah. I don't think I've ever been where like there's a famous band and it's so intimate like that. <laughs> I w- well, that, that, there's a lot of people there. I went to another concert where I saw Collective Soul where it was probably about 200 people. Oh, and wow. And they were just doing like a... Uh, almost like a rehearsal type of concert where they're just getting ready for like a big tour. Cause they went on and they went to like stadiums or whatever, but having, I don't know, I think, well, bands should do more intimate shows. Problem is tickets are going to be super high and, um, you might have fans that are a little bit unruly, you know, but, uh, unruly, what do you mean? Like unruly at the show? Because like, I paid so much money for this. Like, does that what you mean? Well, no, well, because they want to get so close to the artist. Oh, sometimes gotcha. at the smaller venues, you don't have that barricade or anything like that. Just you and then the stage, and then that's how it was when we when I saw uh, Collective Soul. It's just us and then the stage, and they were up maybe about I don't know, three feet higher than us. But I mean, you could reach out and actually touch them. But I mean, luckily you just had people there that were just watching. But um, but no, I saw, saw them and they played the hits. They might have played one or two new songs, and I was like, okay, that's that's nice. But play the hits, you know. I was one of those <laughs> people who wanted them just to play the hits. I mean, they had a. You're talking about Collective Soul I, or Third Eye Blind? Uh, I'm sorry, Third Eye Blind. Yeah, they are. And, uh, the one time I saw them, them was annoying. They got through them, um, but I think they only had two of the original members: the the drummer and Stephen Jenkins, and that's it. And all the other guys were new because. <laughs> Stephen Jenkins, Jenkins uh, chases them out all the time because it's like, hey, it's my band, so it's my way of the highway. Man, since all the other people left, he was such a dick. Like you, can, like just in interviews too, you can totally tell that he's a terrible person. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm sure glad that you did that one album that I really like, though, sir. So thanks for that. Um, I just want to go if stop me if like there's a band that you want to talk about, like because I just think it's crazy how many alt rock bands there are. I'm just like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Green Day, kind of like the punk alternative rock. Um, that you... first, first early Green Day. Once you get to like, I don't know, controversial Green Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, Everclear. I totally forgot about Everclear. Um, Semisonic. Eve 6. Yeah. You know, Semisonic is good, but I think they're, Bush. they're closer to a one-hit wonder than, I mean, they might have had two hits, but after that. The closing you know, time? Closing time. There's another one that I forgot what it was. But, but boy, was two, that a good song. Blind Melon, Butthole Surfers, that one <laughs> song that they had. Pepper. Oh, man. There are so many. Like, I love going Silver Chair. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I saw Silver Chair in San Francisco uh, back in probably 2008, I'd say, 10 years ago. That was, that was another small venue. And, uh,. They got famous off that song when, like, the lead singer was, like, 13 or 14. Like, they got yeah, huge they, they, from they Tomorrow. Yeah, they started probably about 16, and the, the song was Tomorrow. 
and they haven't played that song since like 1998 or something like that. They haven't, or whatever. I mean, he want. I mean, I, I get it. He got burned out of playing this song, but again, play the hits. Yeah, I mean, but, and, uh, and the anorexia probably. Yeah, but I mean, they they had what? If you were a Silverchair fan, you know, I think they had at least three solid albums, and then, you know, you could tell that Daniel Johns was was ready to uh, move on to something else. Um. And marry Natalie and Brulia. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he did, is the song. I think the song's called Horror with Eyeballs. I can't think of the band name though right now. Dis disassociative. The disassociatives. Yeah. So he went on and did that band, which was it was all right. Blur, yeah. The Offspring, Sublime. Oh man. Sublime, man. That's man. That is such an interesting story, though. Is that they uh, they came out with all the music. They kind of had like an underground following for a while. And then once the album was released, um, uh, Bradley, Bradley Knowles died. And so he never actually got to see the, the success of all his music. It's kind of a, I mean, it's kind of sad. I mean, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, I, I think that hat, like, um, it's like almost similar to someone like Van Gogh or something like that. Like, Oh, all your art's cool to us now that you're not here anymore. Like, I, it's cool that they get to live on, but they have no idea. Like, they don't know that that happened, and I think that is unfortunate. Like, that's we'll we'll do existentialism on a later podcast. <laughs> and it's it's one of those things too, where you know they had like what two or three albums or whatever. Because I mean, once once that once he died and that last album came out, then they went back to you know back catalog type thing, and all that stuff became super popular too. Which is that rarely happens, like for bands. The Verve, who had that run-in with uh, the Rolling Stones, getting sued and losing eventually. Um, Three Eleven, Soul Asylum. Like, there's a lot of these bands. I'm just like, yeah, Soul Asylum had like two songs, but like still like two songs that I really enjoyed: Black Gold and Runaway Train. Um, it's two more songs that got on the radio that I didn't have. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like sometimes I feel weird criticizing, like because we talk a lot about movies and TV shows here, and I'm just like, man, I never did any of that, and all I'm doing is just like taking a crap on all, all over it. And I'm I'm so sorry. Like I, we did a Harry Potter one, and it's like J.K. Rowling's a bil billionaire. She doesn't care. <laughs> a lot um, of chick bands. Goo Goo Dolls. Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette. Uh, yeah. Garbage. Yeah, the yeah, Cranberries. Was, oh dude. man, that was huge. I remember that. Um, I uh... do we have like I think because now people are kind of going to away from the band uh, model. It's a lot of solo artists, art, arteries, artists. Um, like looking at the system, just like this many bands came out of, and just for this genre of alternative rock came out from the '80s and '90s, and I just don't feel like this many bands are being created, formed, and having success, like, all of the, like, at least all of these people had one or two songs that made them famous. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, sorry, I lost my thought, but in high school, whenever we were all together, people would always be playing Alanis Morissette. I mean, that was, that was, uh, like, when you're going through people's CDs that they brought to, like, a, a basketball game, if you're, uh, or, um, any type of thing where you're flipping through, like Alanis Morissette was always in there. You know, if you're a boy or a girl, you know, she was 
She was huge. Yep, Alanis Morissette reminds me of late '90s road trips we would take playing the oh, the Sega handheld. What was that called? Um, Not Sega Genesis. It's uh, never a Sega guy. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? And playing and playing Sonic, listening to actually, Alanis. Sorry, what? I actually talked about that the other day. Sega Game Gear. Game. Oh, yeah. So playing Sonic on Game Gear, maybe playing Steve Young's uh, football game that he had on Game Gear, or uh, what was the other one? Mike Tyson's like knockout on Game Gear, listening to Alanis Morissette. That's how, that's how I will remember you, Alanis. If you ever listen to this, I remember you because I was playing, <laughs> playing Sonic as we're traveling to Long Beach or wherever we're going. I remember looking at the Alanis Morissette album cover and like when you're... When you're being raised with your parents who aren't smokers or drinkers and you see someone else who smokes or drinks, you think it's incredibly worse than it is. <laughs> I remember seeing her smoking a cigarette on her album cover and looking at my sister and going, but isn't that so bad? Like, <laughs> we're listening to her and she smokes? Well, she'll, she'll, she'll get cancer one day. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry about it. We can listen to her now. It's, it's all good. Oh man, and so many people like have just died recently too from like this era. Like uh, Cranberry's lead singer just died, Chris Cornell. Are you serious? Yeah, she died like two weeks ago, I believe, maybe three. Dang. Yeah. And I mean, and then Stone Temple Pilots. I mean. Oh yeah, we haven't even talked about them. Mainly because like they weren't part of the Seattle thing, but they were huge uh, at the same time, and they're like grungy rockers. Huge. I mean, their songs, their music, their. I mean. What they had some really good albums. Unfortunately, I wish that uh, Waylon would just get off the heroin. So that, <laughs> well, I, think I mean, man, that that guy had so much talent. Also, you know, singing and coming up with lyrics, and that was that was one of my that was one of my favorite bands growing up. Because uh, you had, you know, I think that's the other thing I like. I, I wouldn't call them ballads, but you had the uh, the music that was like pretty hard and then you have some that kind of slowed it down and mellowed it out for a little while and kind of really melodic type of music and um that's what a lot of stone temple pilots was their albums hit a lot of touch point like each album had every single like emotion in it it seemed like for me um because they had so many like and i think that's maybe like something with grunge music alternative rock music as well like they hit uh, every single pain point that a person has Every high, every low. Um, I think what's unfortunate with um, Wylan um, is, is that joined Velvet Revolver. Is it? <laughs> hey, come on, come on! Slither was a great song. Um, Fall to Pieces also great. That's a great guitar solo by Slash. Um, a lot of people are like, "Yeah, we do wish that that Scott would get off the heroin, but man, can he write some good songs when he's on the heroin?" <laughs> um, like I feel like that's a common sentiment slash joke that people make about him, and it's really to me it's true. Like the best stuff he was writing was when he was a junkie. Do I want him to be doing heroin? No, because obviously now he's dead. Like that sucks, but he made some great stuff from that. And I just want to point out, no one on this uh, just uh, not justifies what's the word approval. We don't want you to do drugs. That's that's what <laughs> I don't want to oh, to make it sound like we want people to go out and do drugs so that they can write some great music because odds are you probably won't. So uh, don't waste <laughs> your time. Um, 
And on that note, does anyone have like any last minute things that they want to say? Any last minute bands that they want to throw in there for like people to go check out? I want to throw the refreshments out there as well. Because um, I think there's like a lot of these bands like that I would have never listened to had um, my brothers not introduced me to them. Um, just because they had their popular song and then kind of went away. Like they're, all right, you were cool in 1994. All right, you're gone now. So a lot of people miss out on that because they weren't there in 1994 to listen to it. Uh, no, maybe we should just like each list our top five. Top five from that the would 90s. Be so hard. Did you not hear me just name off how many bands there were? <laughs> just, just, just rattle off some names of. Some, or, or, some or what I would suggest is like not even top, like top five bands you probably haven't heard of, but you should, because live would be on that list for me. Let live me is one of my tunes. Huh? Let me pull up. <laughs> live would be. No, they're good. I think Counting Crows, maybe. I feel like people know Mr. Jones and then they know Accidentally in Love from Shrek, so maybe not them. <laughs> um, but they would be one. I, I I would have to look at that Bush. list again. Bush, Bush. is a really good yeah. band. I stole that one song that we did, Nick. Oh, dude, the Pixies, man. The Pixies. Yeah. Well, I think a lot. Of, do you think a lot of people know the Pixies? Probably just from Probably Fight not. Club, yeah. just the ones. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Where is no, but they, they were they were a pretty big in, influential band also to to a lot of artists. Pixie, oh yeah, yeah. I'm surprised I've we haven't talked about a lot them, of actually. people have uh, took what they were doing and we didn't even mention Allison Chains. I just want to say Allison Chains, not my favorite band of that time. Uh, you should. I don't know the last time you you listened, but they got. I wasn't a big fan. When in their heyday, but I went back and listened to some of their stuff, and I said, I don't know why I didn't like these people. They uh, they have some really good, again, they have some harmonies. They have um, really melodic music. I mean, it's also hard in some places. Um, but they're they're. I would they're, say. Uh, does Tool count? Yeah. I like Tool. Yeah, like their a, own a lot genre. Of the, a lot of stuff I listened to was later '90s. Um, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> does, uh, sugar, does Sugar Ray count? I would say there, he was probably an, an influenced by that by by them. Well, because like you but said, Eve have, Six, like, and I kind of thought that as well. I'm like hmm, Eve Six. There's kind of corn. Late. Yeah, corn. Yeah. Because um, I would also recommend to people Oasis, the deep tracks. Not trying to be like one of those uppity people who like hates on Wonderwall because I love Wonderwall. Um, but they have. A lot of good songs that I don't think people like. I, I don't feel like "Live Forever" is popular enough. It was at the time, but I don't feel like it is popular now. Um, what's that one song? Uh, "Acquiesce" by Oasis is a really good song that I, I like. That I recommend going and listening to. Yeah, we didn't we didn't talk a lot about the Britpop at all. That was no and Blur. And Blur. Blur, who it, eventually it was, becomes the Gorillas. It is really interesting to be between Blur and Oasis. Um, that it pretty much came down to the uh, the voting in England. I forgot what it's called, but every uh, Christmas they have their their they vote for their favorite song or something like that for that whatever whatever artist has like the highest selling singles and they win. I don't know, they win something. I forgot what it is, but it came down between Blur and Oasis, and Oasis won the. The end, and then I think that's what really propelled them over Blur, Blur than anything else. I mean, people will have their their arguments for and against that, but I think that's why they became more popular than Blur. 
Yeah, because I, having worked with certain people who are like huge fans of Blur, it's weird that you have to like it's black and white. Like you, you're an Oasis fan or a Blur fan. Like I didn't know that was a thing until recently. I'm like I like I like them both. I like Oasis more, but I don't know why. Like you have to like why you have to pick a hole basically. Like I don't know why that why you can't like both of them. Incubus was kind of tail ends, right? It's like early 2000s, but I do feel like they're, I think. Well, they were probably formed before 2000. No, you're probably right. I feel like they got popular-ish. Incubus is a word? A male demon believed to have sexual intercourse with sleeping women. Interesting. Learn something new every day. It's the rape culture. (laughs) But I do believe, you know, though, you know, thinking about the, the, I think the alternative rock at the end of the '90s, <laughs> was also kind of wussified with a, with a lot of bands. I, I not wussified, but they they came out a lot softer than they went out softer than they were coming in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. As in as in the type of music, it's, you know, almost like Matchbox Twenty. The, the prelude, yeah, almost like the prelude to like the, the whole emo crowd. Um, you know, because they came in really hard and you know with with. Uh, Nirvana and Soundgarden and them, and then they left with, you know, Semisonic and County Crows. Yeah, going out. Just to your point, Trace, uh, Make Yourself was like 1999, 2001 for Incubus. So and, we're we're both yeah. kind of right. You said late 90s. I said early 2000s. It's ultimately the they're same time. The, <laughs> they're in the acknowledgments section of the book. <laughs> I got the Deftones from you know Sacto. Well, I think I do. Th- agree with you, Nick, that it's just... Music is just constantly evolving. Um, I do like the mid-90s. I, I would say the mid-90s I felt was like a content-rich time for alternative music. Um, but it just ebbs and flows. It just moves yeah, to like, whatever the people are thinking about. And if you like, if you think about it too, like you are also getting older. And I wonder how much of an effect that has. I'm like, it has a huge effect. I, I, I know it does on like how we view music. Because like, as I get older, like... I don't care about your feelings, <laughs> like the like the musical feelings, like for stuff. Like I like people that can relate to what feelings I'm having, and there's just not a lot of people doing that for me right now. So, it just it just is on that spectrum of constantly evolving to whatever the demand is at the time. And I feel like teenagers have so much time on their hands that they're the ones who are frequently demanding it. Um, like all you have to do is go to school six hours a day, and then you can listen to music and do whatever the f you want. Besides that, I think that's sort of why that happens. Um, cool. Does anyone have anything to say? Okay. I like 90s music. I, I, you know, since I grew up in it, I think it's the best music. You know, I, uh, I still listen to new music that is on the radio or that um, has been suggested by YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> and which I'll listen to and I'll, I'll see out. But, you know, it's also, you know, it's the, the music of your youth is what is most influential in your life, you know, because you, all those hormones are going, you're trying to figure out who you are and everything like that. And so that's why I found, you know, the 90s um, alternative rock music the best. Cool. Yeah. I think as a teenager, when you're poor too, music is one of the few things you can like afford, you know. Especially in like the late '90s generation, where LimeWire became a thing, it's like, what is there to do besides get together with my friends and listen to some tunes? And we just want to point out that the statute of limitations has passed 
for uh, the last time that I used LimeWire, and FrostWire, and Napster. And so, or Napster. So I am. I think we're all safe to uh, admit to those crimes now. So yeah. Well, I, personally, I didn't use it. I just know of people who did. Oh, you knew a guy. I knew a yeah. Whatever, Trace. <laughs> I don't. I don't buy that for a second. Um, it's like going through your iPod and every song is mislabeled or the, <laughs> the wrong artist. <laughs> so true. Um, all right. Well, I just want to thank you guys for um, jumping on this today. Um, and we look forward to uh, having you guys on for other subjects. Um, and we will be back uh, when, whenever we want to talk about something else. Feel free to like, comment, and continue the conversation by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and if you are feeling especially generous, leave us a review on iTunes. We prefer five stars, but value the truth more. We plan on keeping this free to listeners forever, because we love you. Thanks for listening, and let's keep being better. Oh, that didn't help. <laughs>